The World Tomorrow. Herbert W. Armstrong brings you the plain truth about today's world news and the prophecies of the world tomorrow. And greetings, friends. This is Herbert W. Armstrong with the good news of the world tomorrow. And now, my friends, prepare yourselves to hear the most wonderful sermon ever preached. At least that's what people have always called it. The Sermon on the Mount has been called the most wonderful sermon ever preached. But do you understand it? Do you know what it says? Very few have ever understood it. They think it's wonderful. You know, it's a good deal like the prophet Ezekiel said, and I've had so many people say that very thing to me so many, many times. Oh, what a wonderful sermon, and how beautiful it was. But they don't know a thing that was said. It doesn't mean anything to them. They didn't get it. They don't do anything about it. It didn't really take root in their lives. And the seed was apparently not planted, and it certainly never sprouted. As the prophet Ezekiel said, that the people come and sit before thee as my people. They pretend to be God's people, and they hear the words that you preach to them, and behold... Thou art unto them as a musician that playeth on a very wonderful instrument and sings a very wonderful song. They hear your words. It's beautiful music to their ears. They hear your words, but they do them not. Now, if we don't get something out of this that will actually make a change in our lives and add something that we didn't have before, we're wasting our time. Let's see if there aren't things here that you never even saw or heard of before. You've heard about this sermon, just like you've heard about Jesus Christ. But do you know his message? Why have you never heard the true gospel of Jesus Christ? Why is it that the people of this day and age don't know what Jesus preached? They don't seem to know the message. They don't know that Jesus Christ was preaching about world government and about the conditions in this world now today and what is going to happen in the immediate future and in the world tomorrow, just ahead of us now. Yes, Jesus Christ was interested in world conditions. He was interested in what goes on in the world today. And he told us about how he himself is going to straighten out these tangled affairs of men that have this world so perplexed, so struck with fear, and bring us peace at last. It's coming. But it isn't coming the way most people think. Now, we started, but didn't get into this thing, a broadcast or two ago. And so let's go back and notice the preferences we were going through in the harmony of the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And remember that all four writers were writing about the same thing, the life of Jesus Christ, the things that he said, the things that he did. And so in the time sequence, we were in Luke, the sixth chapter, and I want to read this again. Beginning with verse 12, it came to pass in those days that Jesus went out into a mountain to pray. Now, he didn't go into a public synagogue and pray before everybody to make a big showing and impress other people with what a rhetorical and a fiery prayer he could make. But he went out into the mountain away from all people, where the only one to hear him was his Father in heaven. And you're going to see that in this very sermon he told you and me how to pray, and it wasn't to pray publicly before others, for others to hear, but privately before God, for the eternal God, our Father in heaven, to hear. So he went out into this mountain to pray, and he continued all night 
in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples, and he chose from them twelve whom he also named apostles. Now, they were to be his ambassadors. They were his emissaries bearing his authority sent to the peoples of this world, representing him and his government, his kingdom, the kingdom of God. But his kingdom is not of this world, that is, of this age, this time, this present pattern of things that men have set up as the civilization of this earth now today. Now, he selected his twelve disciples, the ones that were to be the apostles, out of all of the disciples who were following him. And he had called each of them, and now he had to pray all night so that he could be close enough to God and have the wisdom, the understanding to know which ones God had selected, which ones he should choose and select. As I've said before, they didn't come and say, now, we'd like a job, we think we'd like to work for you, we want to get into the ministry, and we think you look like you. We know that the, uh, the Pharisees and the leaders of the synagogues uh, are calling you a false prophet, but we think you're all right, and uh, perhaps they wouldn't hire us, but maybe you would. Now, we'd like to get a job. How much will you pay us if we go to work for you and preach? That's about the way people might talk today. Minister came to me one time up in Oregon, and he said, well, I've just gotten married. He said, I've been inactive for several years, but uh, he was an ex-preacher, and he said, do you know of a single pastor that opened in this county? He said, I wanted in this county. My wife is uh, pretty well to do. She has some money, but you know, I just have too much pride to let my wife support me, and I've got to go to work again. You know where I can get a job? Well, I said, I just know of one church that doesn't have a pastor in it, but I don't think you'd fit in there because... That's a Christian church, and you're a Methodist. He said, oh, now that doesn't make a better difference. Uh, he said, well, uh, uh, I'll preach whatever they want me to. All they have to do is tell me what they want me to preach. I'll preach it, whatever they want. But I've got to get a job and earn a living. I want to support my wife. I tell you, my friends, there are too many in that category today. My wife and I found years ago that if we were going to serve God and preach what God wants to hear instead of what the people want to hear, we would have to turn to God in living faith to support us. And uh, if he's the one we work for, he's the one we have to look for for the salary and the income, and we always have. People said to me years ago, as I mentioned the other day, as one man said, you're not going to get far, Mr. Armstrong, because you preach the word of God. And, and, and you know, the Bible corrects people and reproves people, and people don't like to be corrected and reproved. They just want to hear something that's nice and pleasant. And you don't preach things like that. You upset people. Well, I said, at least I hope I make them think a little bit. But, uh, well, he said, you won't get far. And it wasn't long after that uh, uh, we had to cut off the little salary we were getting at the time because we found the men who controlled that salary and the treasury funds of the church and paid it to us insisted that we had to do things contrary to the Bible and we had to preach the opposite of what it said. And when we didn't do it, we had to cut ourselves off and trust God in living faith alone. You know, my friends, if you'll ever learn that lesson, you'll get a lot further in life. If you will do what God says and put yourselves in his hand and then trust him with the result, rely on him and trust him, you'll find you'll get a lot farther than the way people are going. People think that you wouldn't get far doing that. And most people, well, they just frankly lack the nerve. 
They like that stiffening of the vertebrae to do that very thing. I know a lot of people that ought to be doing it today, and they can't. They think, no, God just isn't fair, and things don't look like they're breaking right, and they uh, want to try to take things in their own hands according to their own human reason. They just can't trust God with the result, and uh, it doesn't look like God is fair. They have to do the things he said according to his law, so they reason out according to human reason that they should break God's law and do the thing that looks right to a human being, and... And they wonder why they're always so unhappy and things never break right for them. If you can put yourself in God's hands, if you can do what God says and obey him, and if you can trust him with the result, you will get far. You'll go a long, long way and everything will break right. Well, Jesus spent this whole night in prayer after which he selected his own disciples that were to be the apostles, the twelve. He selected them, they did not select him. And he selected those whose hearts he knew, and he, uh, he even foreknew, actually, about Judas Iscariot, as it is mentioned later, and that was even for a purpose. Now, seeing the multitudes, we come to Matthew 5 now, in verse 1, and seeing the multitudes, and this follows in direct sequence in the actual activities, and this was the very morning after he had spent that whole night in prayer, and after he had selected his apostles, now, seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountain. Well, that was uh, uh, the night before. He spent that whole night in prayer. This is Matthew's account now. And when he sat down, this is the next morning, his disciples came unto him. He spent that whole night in prayer. I don't think the disciples had yet come to the place where they would spend a whole night in prayer with him. But it must have been morning when they came. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... I want you to notice that he taught his disciples. Now, Luke's account is, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are ye poor. This wasn't a sermon to the great crowd. He isn't talking, my friends, to the world. This is said to his disciples whom he chose to be apostles. This is for those that are the disciples who then and there represented all converted people today. And those who have surrendered to God, accepted Christ, and have become God's own children, begotten of him through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's who he was speaking to. He was speaking to those that were his disciples and those who should be his disciples thereafter, as this is recorded for our reading and our learning today. So he said to his disciples, Blessed are you, ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, let me explain once again that in Matthew, the expression is used, kingdom of heaven, but never in Mark's gospel or in Luke's or in John's. Mark, Luke, and John never use the expression kingdom of heaven, and no other writer of the Bible and no other place in the Bible can you find that little phrase, kingdom of heaven. Now, where Matthew reports Jesus as having said kingdom of heaven, Mark and Luke and John, wherever they mention the same words, mention it as kingdom of God. Actually, it's all the same thing. It's not a kingdom inside of God or inside of heaven. It is the kingdom that is owned by and ruled by God or by heaven because heaven is his throne. And so it is the heavenly kingdom that is ruled by heaven, governed from heaven by the God of heaven. And that's exactly what it means. I explained that in some detail yesterday, so I uh, believe it was yesterday. So let's go along real rapidly now. Now, in Matthew's account, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
But he's speaking to them, ye poor in spirit, yours is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Blessed are they that mourn. These are the so-called beatitudes now, but I want you to get the meaning. For they shall be comforted. Always this is if we are putting our trust in God and relying on him for the result, he will work it out. God has never promised how quickly he'll do what he promises. He has never explained to you how he'll do it or when. He'll do it his way, and God does work in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. But nevertheless, when he promises a thing, he will do it. He says they shall be comforted. He didn't say how quickly. He didn't say what manner. Uh, he just said they shall be. And it will happen if you trust him. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. You know, I told you about that school teacher who had come to me and claimed the five dollars that I had offered for anyone that would give me any passage in the Bible of any hope or promise that anyone now living can ever go to heaven. And she quoted this a little later here. Blessed are they that have been persecuted for righteousness' sake. It's in verse 10 here in Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are they that have been persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And uh, I asked her if she knew the difference between of and in, and it doesn't say kingdom in heaven, but of heaven, just like the Bank of Morgan in New York City is the bank inside of Mr. Morgan. It isn't anything he ate that's inside of him. It's the bank he owns. It belongs to him. And the kingdom of God is the kingdom that God owns. It belongs to him. The kingdom of heaven is owned in heaven. It belongs to heaven, but it isn't up in heaven. So uh, I turned immediately to uh, verse 5 here, and I said, What do you make of this then? Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. And she was a little perplexed, and she said, Well, I don't know. She says, I guess that if you're going to be meek, then you stay on the earth, and if you get persecuted, you get to go to heaven. Well, I said, That's a, that's a kind of a peculiar situation. And then I asked her if she thought she was qualified to be a schoolteacher, and if she knew the difference between the meaning of the word of and the word in. But now notice, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. I knew a man one time who was rather weak, and I told him, I said, well, you don't need to be weak, you can be strong. Uh, I mean strong in, in purpose and in character and all that sort of thing. He was physically strong enough, I don't mean physically, but he, he, he just acted weak, and uh, uh, his folks uh, kept telling him that he was weak and he couldn't do anything, and don't try, and I kept trying to tell him that he could if he thought he could. You ever read that book, or I forget the name of the author, Orison Sweat and Martin, something like that? Was that the name of an old author of a book, books I used to read when I was a young man years ago? Anyway, the title of the book is He Can Who Thinks He Can. I procured a copy of that in a second-hand bookstore not too many years ago. It's around the college here someplace. I don't know who has it just now. It's sort of been bandied around, and I hope it's in the library. It should be. I'd like to read it again myself. I read it years and years ago. But there's a lot of truth in that. We can if we think we can. Well, this man thought he was weak. And his name was Claude. And uh, he said that he had looked the meaning of the name Claude. And he says it means weak. Well, I said, now that's a surprise to me. I'm going to look up the meaning of the name too. And when I looked it up, I saw that the meaning of the name Claude was M-E-E-K. Meek. Not W-E-A-K, weak at all. And so I tried to tell him, but somehow he just got that little psychological impression of, uh, in his mind, and uh, the auto-suggestion of it and everything kept him thinking he was weak, and so he always acted that way. 
Well, he should have been strong. Meek is not weak. Jesus Christ was meek, but I want to tell you that so far as character is concerned and the kind of strength that counts, the spiritual strength, the mental strength, he was the strongest man who has ever lived on the face of this earth. But he was meek. Every really great man is meek and humble. Anyone who struts around and brags and is out is just like a peacock or a turkey. Turkeys can surely strut. And I've often wondered if there is room for any thinking whatsoever in a, a tiny little turkey mind, and uh, there isn't much room there, and uh, there certainly is not much brain inside of a turkey, but they act as if they just have the impression they're so very important, and they don't know enough to cross the road or get out of the way if an automobile's coming. They don't have any sense whatsoever, and uh, I guess they're just for Thanksgiving dinner, that's about all. And... Uh, a lot of people are like that. And when people strut, and when they become very proud, they're not very big, really. A big man is a meek and a humble man. He doesn't have to put on airs. And let me tell you, my friends, the real confidence and faith you should have is faith in God and trusting him with the result, and that'll keep you humble, but oh, how it will always work out. There's power in it, and you can accomplish very great things that way. Provided, of course, it's God in you accomplishing it, and you have to be in his will to do it. Now, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. But the trouble with that is, people are hungering and thirsting after something that gives them a kick out of life, and perhaps twitches their nerves a little bit, and gives them a sensation in the physical nervous system of the body for the moment, and something that is momentarily pleasing to pass away the time while they let their minds stagnate and their bodies lie idle. They don't want to do anything, so we have all these modern gadgets to save us labor and work. You know, today, you read the advertising, and the implication is it's a disgrace to work. It's a disgrace to do any work. You must get more labor-saving devices if you want to be in the big shot class. Not very many people hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now, Jesus said, if they do, they shall be filled. But you know how most people are today? They're not filled. Their lives are empty. They go around with empty lives. They're just bored to death, and they have to invent some kind of a pastime to take away the consciousness of their misery. They're so unhappy. Their life is so dull and so uninteresting that they have to invent some useless, nonsensical kind of a pleasure to... Well, it's just like uh, filling a starving stomach with a lot of husks instead of the real corn or the real food. And it isn't going to help, and it isn't going to fill you and make life worthwhile. Now, God intended life to be full and abundant, interesting every second, until it's just dynamic and interesting and good to be alive. And there's only one way it can be, and that's to find God and God's way and God's law, which was set in motion to uh, make life happy and to make it abundant and worthwhile. Now, those that really hunger and thirst after righteousness, they're going to have it. They're going to be filled with it, and when you're filled with it, your life is not empty. You're not empty, you're filled. And what are you filled with? Something very good. Very, very good. Righteousness. That's right doing, and what is righteousness? There's a Bible definition for righteousness now. Stop to think about it. Back in the 119th Psalm, 172nd verse. 
All thy commandments are righteousness. The commandments of God, the way of God is righteousness. Now, you see what you have to have to be filled? The commandments of God. And that's the way of God, and that is the way that runs counter to the way men want. That isn't the way men like. That doesn't go according to human reason. The human carnal mind is enmity against God. It really thinks God is all wrong, and it thinks there's a better way. It's always wanting to argue for a way that looks better to the human mind. And then these poor, deluded people wonder why everything is going wrong. Oh, I know people like that. And you can't do a thing with them. They're so cocksure that they're right. They're suffering. Their lives are empty. They're full of fears. For the future, their life is a burden, but they're so stubborn they won't, they just simply will not repent of that very thing that is causing them all their troubles. They're their own worst enemy. They can't see it. Yes, blessed now are the merciful. A lot of people haven't very much mercy. Oh, we want God to have mercy, though, don't we? It's a good thing he does, that he's not like human beings that would take vengeance just without any mercy, whatever. Blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. If you want to get mercy, and we're all coming to the place we're going to want a lot of it, I'll tell you that. Well, then you'd better be merciful. That's the only way you'll ever get it. Be merciful to others. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do you know where Jesus is getting all of this? Do you know that he was just quoting from the Scriptures? And the Old Testament Scriptures at that, because the New Testament hadn't been written. Now, uh, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Turn back to Psalms 37, 11, and you'll find that. They that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. Turn back to the 55th Psalm, and you'll find it. And then, obtaining mercy, the 18th Psalm, the 25th verse, in Proverbs 11:17. Now he says, blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God if you're really pure in heart. Well, he was just simply expounding the 24th Psalm, the third to the fifth verse. Turn back there and you'll find it. And then again, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, those that make for peace and know the way of peace. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are they that have been persecuted for righteousness' sake. We went into that a minute ago. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And again, you know, you read in the New Testament that all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. All who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Because, you know why? If you live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going the way of God's law, you're living God's way, and it's the way that'll make you happy, your life full and abundant, but the world doesn't like that way. The world is an enmity against that way, and when you live that way, I don't know why people persecute you, unless it's because it sort of puts them under a conviction and a sense of condemnation, and they feel self-condemned, which is a, certainly a sort of a mental and a spiritual inferiority complex, and then they try to ride over it, and so in order to ride over it, they have to condemn you and accuse you and put you down below them in the way they talk and in their attitude. That way they can trample all over you and climb up on top of you and forget about the fact that they are really down under themselves. And uh, they kid themselves in plain language. They deceive themselves into believing they're all right. It merely comes from a sort of a spiritual inferiority complex. Now... All who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, do you? If you don't, you're not a real Christian. According to the Bible, 
Now, when people say all manner of evil against you falsely, of course, if they're speaking the truth, that's another matter. But when they say it falsely, for my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Now, does that mean you go up to heaven to get it? When are you going to collect that reward? Your reward is in heaven, but where are you? You're down here, and your reward is up in heaven. Do you go there to get it, or does it come here to you? Over here in the 11th chapter of Revelation, in verse 18, we read about the second coming of Christ. Verse 15, the seventh angel is sounded, and the, uh, it's announced, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The time of the second coming of Christ, when he is coming. He said, If I go to heaven, I will come again. And he's coming to reign and to rule over the earth. Now, verse 18 says that at that time the nations were angry, and thy wrath, God's wrath, is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged. That's the time, then, of the resurrection, that the dead should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward to thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and should destroy them that destroy the earth. There again, in the 22nd chapter of Revelation, Jesus is speaking, and uh, Jesus here says that, he is coming, and his reward is with him. Behold, I come quickly at his second coming, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. And that's where you get your reward, right here on the earth at the second coming of Christ, and not now or not when you die. For more information, please visit our website at www.coglittleflock.com.